Welcome to the Organizing Ideas Podcast. I'm Allison. And I'm Karen, and we are two new librarians and archivists and your hosts for this podcast. Together, we're taking a closer look at the relationships between organizing information and community organizing, how libraries and archives are never neutral, and what we mean when we say that knowledge is power. We are recording on the unceded and ancestral territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. Today, our guest is Elaine Sue. Elaine is an educator, librarian, and activist. She has a background in community-based and nature-based education and co-founded Compass Community School in Hiddenwell, two organizations founded on the principle that youth must have choice and agency in charting their own educational paths. She is passionate about education reform and creating educational spaces that support diverse voices and experiences. In addition to her work as a teacher librarian, Elaine serves on the board of directors at Hua Foundation, where she is bringing youth voices to the table and sustaining safe spaces for youth to engage in conversation and meaningful work around cultural identity, equity, and making change. And we're really excited to talk to Elaine about teacher librarianship and community and nature-based learning. Awesome. I love not having to write my own bio. <laughs> Karen does a really good job. That's now my least favorite thing. So thank you. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to add that, or something else you want people to know that we didn't uh, catch in there? No, it's just always interesting. I think uh, you must have pulled a lot of stuff from like existing bios out there. And every time I have to describe what I do, um, I just realize how much work evolves and how quickly mm. it does. So yeah, I'm listening to some of those things and thinking, oh yeah, I do care about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I get so bogged down in what's presently percolating. Um, so yeah. Awesome. Do you want to tell us a bit about that, like that change over time, that journey, how you came to be a teacher or librarian? Brought you to sure. That yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's kind of a long winding path that is not over yet. I started as a, um, I would say pretty conventional teacher. So I taught, I taught kindergarten. So kindergarten grade one, I, after I got my teaching degree, I had done some teaching before then. I taught in uh, Hong Kong and I taught in Shanghai and I did some teaching in Vancouver. And then I got my teaching degree and I went straight into teaching in public schools. So like, I'm a big believer in public schools. I'm a big believer in public education and equitable public education. But it did not take long for me to get a little bit disenchanted <laughs> with just the, the, the gap between what I thought education would look like, what I was told education would look like, and what in practice education looked like. So after a few years, I, I, I left the, the school district um, because I thought, you know, there has to be more. There has to be, this cannot be the whole picture because this is depressing. So I left and I spent a few years exploring alternative um, education. I worked with a lot of homeschoolers. I worked with democratic schooling. I worked with um, place-based learning and community-based learning. I started a lot of weird programs and some of them took off and some of them didn't. And that was a few years. And then I realized at the end of it that what I really was missing was the, um, I was missing working with a wider range of kids. Mm -hmm. So when you work with specialty programs, you work with self-selecting families. So often the irony of working in, say, 
a choice program like forest schooling, place-based learning, or like a democratic school. Ironically, a lot of the times the kids who receive those don't need it as much because like their parents have selected to put them into a program like that. So their parents get it. If they, if those kids hadn't been in that program, they probably would still be receiving a lot of access to the outdoors and a lot of access to critical thinking and the kinds of things that I was seeing more of in these programs. And I was realizing that those were not, we weren't, I wasn't reaching what I felt was um, kids and families and communities who need it to be reached out to. So I went back into public schooling um, and I went to the Burnaby School District. And when I made the decision to go back into schooling, I realized a few things that once I had experienced a lot of what teaching could look like outside the confines of the confines of one teacher, 30 kids, and this is your daily plan, I realized I was not ready to let that go. I love doing the kind of work that I did and the kind of inquiry learning and place-based learning and student-led learning and kind of like not just the kind of stuff that I felt like I was having to do a lot of as a kindergarten teacher. So um, yeah, I wasn't ready to let that go. I also realized that teaching is a brutally unsustainable career um, and that I wasn't going to do it anymore. I, I knew I was going to start a family. And beyond that, I just thought, you know, this is nonsense. The things we expect teachers to do and the emotional labor that we expect teachers to carry is nonsense. <laughs> so it kind of kind of fell into place. I talked to a few people, I happened to talk to people in the Burnaby School District about like my desire to move into more providing inquiry-based learning support and learning innovation in more of a public system. And somebody said, well, it sounds like the library is the right place for you. So I took a couple of courses and a job happened to open up in the Burnaby School District. I interviewed, I, I liked what I heard and they must've liked what they heard. And then I ended up a teacher librarian in elementary school and I've been there since and it's kind of been pretty awesome for the most part. That's great. So we've talked to a lot of different like librarians and archivists uh, but we haven't talked to a teacher librarian before yet. Um, so could you tell us like what is teacher librarianship and maybe like what it, how is the training different from other types of librarianship? Yeah, yeah it's it's pretty half-half. The teacher is definitely an important part of the picture. And I have to, like, I, I say all the time, I, I know I'm a good teacher and I truly believe I'm not a great librarian because, <laughs> and that sounds terrible, but I, I like the, a lot of the librarian pieces to my job make me really nervous and overwhelmed. And I think a big part of that is because I don't think anybody has a real idea of what a teacher librarian does. And therefore the time and resources that we have do not support both of those jobs. As far as training goes, I have a diploma in teacher librarianship from UBC. I think it was 30 credits. And a lot of those credits were about teaching and about, you know, new models of learning and how the library can be um, a source of support and leadership in that kind of learning. And only a few of those courses were about actual library shit. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I uh, had to learn what the word catalog means <laughs> when I started working as a librarian. Like, I, my first job as a teacher librarian was, I, I job shared, actually, with somebody. So it was, I was very lucky to job share because I had kind of a constant 
mentor. And I, I truly don't know how I would have learned all of this. But I, I was doing, she had a childcare situation, so she ended up having to drop two days. And so I did two days and she did two days. And thank God, because nobody taught me, like, when you buy a book, this is what you do. Zero people told me that. <laughs> and in our district, we just, a few years ago, cut the district teacher librarianship position. So that's the only person who, that's, so the person who was that position, she was the one who interviewed me, and she did provide a lot of support. So if there was anybody who would have done it, it would have been her. But even she can't, she can't be at the school every day to walk me through, like, the logistics of the librarian portion of my job and when I did my schooling there was a lot of that that did not happen so I learned like the basics of like obviously I knew about the Dewey Decimal System and we learned we had a course that was about like is Dewey Decimal System like a good thing do we need to move beyond and like that was the closest I would say we got to thinking critically about the role of librarians as opposed to the role of the teacher librarian so although I think that the job needs to be like 50-50 and currently I don't feel like I have the capacity to be doing it fairly at a full 50-50 right. because I'm still, like I'm several years in and I'm still really struggling to find the balance. Aren't a lot of teacher librarians, because I remember even as a kid, like a lot of teacher librarians were only there for like three quarters of the time, so they're not even... Yeah, full time and like funding keeps getting slashed. So yeah, I'm staffed at point seven, so three and a half days a week, and I have a school of four hundred kids. Wow. Yeah, I um, to we just met <laughs> for the <laughs> listeners to give you some context. My partner is actually in the teaching program at SFU right now, so I hear a lot about the like life of a new teacher from from him and friends, and also. I didn't realize going into library school because uh, youth librarianship is something that I was kind of interested in, that to be a teacher librarian, you had to do the teaching degree. And that if you had yeah. a librarian degree, there's no path into that other than to go do a full teaching degree. Right. Um, whereas as a teacher, you do like this short mm -hmm. diploma, which is like very focused still, it sounds like on teaching. It's kind of a weird training system, in my opinion, for teacher librarians. Yeah, it's really weird. Yeah. It's like totally weird. Um, <laughs> And I think part of, to, to me, the exciting thing, but also the problematic thing is that no one really seems to be able to pinpoint exactly what a teacher librarian does. Mm -hmm. And so if you look it up, there's all these graphics, these amazing graphics that show like all the many hats that teacher librarians wear and like all the many jobs that we do. And it's true. And that's like, I, I think that's also true of teachers, right? Like classroom teachers hold so many hats and they do so much more than they should be expected to do. But I think part of the problem is as a teacher librarian, every single teacher librarian does their work entirely differently, even down to like, what is your schedule like? Some teacher librarians have every class come in and visit for 30 minutes. Some teachers, librarians don't have any of that. They have an entirely flexible schedule. Some teacher librarians like work really closely with the resource team in their school and some teacher librarians don't do much beyond like reading aloud and curating the collection which I would say is what we're moving away from but that whole range exists still and no none of those people can be said to not be doing their jobs mm -hmm. so I think as a result it's a really exciting job because like one day I'm in the forest and then the next day I'm doing an amazing race around ancient civilizations 
and the next day I'm doing like a story workshop for kindergarten students. And those are all part of my job and I get to decide that. <laughs> and that's a really exciting thing and that's very much what I wanted from this position, but it's very much because that's what I've made it. So those things all excite me. And then I come back to the library at the end of the day and I'm like, oh yeah, I haven't shelved in <laughs> four weeks. <laughs> and I, I don't know, I don't know what the state of the shelves are. Uh, my teachers asked me to pull books on this. I don't know when I'm going to have time to do that. So the librarian piece, as opposed to the teaching piece where I am an additional resource and I have the information um, acquisition and the information analysis lens and the ability to use inquiry-based learning techniques. That is, I would say, how I differentiate from other teachers. But I find myself much more similar to teachers than librarians. When I talk to librarians, I'm like, oh yeah, like you guys are really smart and I have no idea what you're talking about because none of that is relevant to me. We have a, a cataloger for the district. So I don't do any oh. of the cataloging. I don't do anything when we have like a call number review committee and that's it. That's like, I, so I don't do any of that. So in terms of processing the books and there's, it's a lot more limited. I guess it depends what kind of librarian you are too, because, um, I work, I work at Burnaby public library. <laughs> mm. So neighbors, but, um, in like the kind of role that I'm in there is like I also never interface with cataloging in what I do currently like it's a lot of desk work but also a lot of programming program development outreach stuff like that and the job also has like a lot of flexibility and depending how you approach it a lot of like instruction information analysis mm. like um, development yeah so I feel like there's also an element of that in librarianship too of like people not it, like it being such a big broad profession that there's so many That's different ways here. you can mm -hmm. do it and I know a lot of academic a lot of academic libraries have instructional librarians who most of what they do is teach mm -hmm. yeah I talk about this a lot with my partner because he's developing lesson plans and he's like I feel like this is like more what you know <laughs> or we're trained in than what I do yeah, like if he's helping students with learning research methods or information literacy or something like that is the two professions I think have like a lot more overlap. Yeah, I guess then in that case, maybe we're all feeling a lot of inferiority complex. Because um. what you're describing <laughs> doing to me sounds like librarianship, even if it's not right. like cataloging and I'm books. Always, and yeah. I'm always <laughs> feeling the need to like apologize or give a warning that like, oh, I'm not a real librarian. Though I, I, I know I am, and I know that that is the role I fulfill for my, my school and my students and my community. And as a profession, I don't feel like I'm letting like my professional responsibilities down. I just, um, I guess I have this idea of librarianship. So I'm just as guilty as, as everybody else who's making judgments about what my job should be or what my job could be. I also have a very narrow view, a much more narrow view of like what academic librarians or public librarians do based on my own projected by my own experiences and it's kind of a shame yeah. that the training is so separate because I think it would be really beneficial in some way right like I think it would be good for us I mean totally. as a public librarian to know more about what teacher librarians do and mm -hmm. yeah I think I'm also elementary which is very different to high school yeah. like I think high school teacher librarians are good in between 
because they do a lot more from what I understand they do do a lot more of what would be similar to a public librarian and and most high school librarians have like a library assistant so they don't have to worry about a lot of the stuff because that is why there is a library assistant so as a teacher librarian you have to do everything from shelving to buying the new books to teaching all the classes Mm-hmm. Which is impossible. Yes. So, <laughs> in three and a half days a week. No big deal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was reading, like, your Twitter and just the stuff that you're doing with your students sounds, like, so much fun. Um, I did have a question. Like, what... Uh, could you explain, like, what inquiry-based learning is? <laughs> yes, that's a very good question. <laughs> yeah, so to me, inquiry-based learning is about... It is about helping kids learn more through process than through product. That's kind of been my big guiding principle. Knowing how to ask questions, um, knowing how to ask good questions, and then knowing how to follow through from those questions. That's kind of, to me, it's like inquiry-based learning is something that we're always talking about. Like the teacher librarians in my district just had a whole afternoon workshop on it. But um, I think that to me, it's about letting kids direct their learning. So um, letting them pose questions, letting them ask questions and have wonder and have curiosity and then let that direct the learning. And usually that means that we're learning based on bigger questions and larger concepts as opposed to competency-based learning, which is like you have to learn how to count this many by this kind of point. Um, Inquiry-based learning is more like you need to be able to understand generally that forces act upon objects right Mm -hmm. and they have an effect so how do we explore that right and uh, inquiry learning might be that kids have a question or say like water that's an easy topic so say we're like we're learning about water so what are questions about water um how how can we find the answers to those questions somebody might be like well my question is about like water sports my question is about like how does how do different water sports play with water differently and how are the forces in water and the chemistry of water and the physics of water important to different water sports somebody might be like i'm talking about conservation and i'm talking about animals in in water um so it could be really wide ranging and it could also just be as simple as you know a more narrowed focus but going about the research in a different ways or going about the question in different ways. So if we're talking about like forests, instead of reading a book about forests or reading a worksheet and completing a worksheet about forests, it would be more like a, let's explore everything to do with the forest and be exposed to different things. Let's bring in like, let's put some tracks on the ground today and then let's um, explore some camouflaged animals tomorrow. And we're exploring different things and asking questions along the way. And that's the inquiry piece. Mm-hmm. Yes, It's a very complex topic that really means everything and nothing Mm -hmm. so it's um yeah it's hard to I don't know if I no that helps a lot yeah it It reminds me we had this class called human information interaction (laughs) (laughs) which like could you could you be more broad yeah (laughs) and it they kind of feel similar (laughs) yeah Do you have a favorite part of your job as a teacher librarian? I've been doing a lot of thinking about the the role and the profession of teaching and somebody just showed me, and I wish I knew who, who which book this was from or who wrote it, but it was about um, a, an educator's passion profiles and the eight passions for 
teaching and what, you know, what, why are you passionate about teaching? And one of them is like passionate about individual students and like helping individual students. One of them is like social justice and one of them is like personal and professional connections and one of them, so there's a whole variety. And so I've been doing a lot of thinking about what it means to be a teacher and what is exciting about being a teacher. And I think that the further I get in my career, the more I'm realizing how problematic it is that a lot of the narrative we have around teaching is to be a good teacher. Um, I think if you ask a lot of teachers, a lot of teachers will say, myself included, I went into teaching because I wanted to change lives and make the world a better place and like help kids and like help this kid succeed. And the more I go along my profession, the more I realize that's kind of selling ourselves short a little bit. Um, because I'm, I'm excited about my work beyond those things. And we kind of limit ourselves by saying that, you know, unless you've changed a life, <laughs> like you're not a good teacher. And I think that's also tied in so dangerously with white saviorism. And I see a lot of that in some of the schools I work in. And I don't think that is our job. So it's like a very long winded answer, but I've been becoming more and more excited because I am a librarian in school and I don't have my own class. I am so excited about curriculum. I'm just really excited about teaching interesting lessons. Mm -hmm. I'm not the first point person for most kids. I don't often know everything that's going on with their lives. And a lot of the times that's something that teachers like we're expected to do, but we also feel good about it, right? Like this person, trust me, I'm making a difference in this kid's life. And like, you know, this kid didn't have shoes and this kid didn't eat breakfast this morning. So I fed her. And like, there's just all of this stuff around the many layers of the teaching profession. And I've just started just to say, you know, I need to strip that all back. And we don't, we don't judge surgeons who are like really good surgeons, but don't really care about their patients. Like we just care. Are you a good surgeon or not? Like, I, I think sometimes that as teachers, we trivialize the professional teaching competency because so much of the narrative has to be around, like, I care about the kids and I just want to teach kids to read and have kids love reading. And I do. I, I, I love when kids love reading. That's not my favorite part of the job because anybody can do that. <laughs> Truly, like, your mom can pick up a book and share why she loved that book and then you'll love that book. Like, that's not... That's not a professional competency. So my favorite parts of the job more and more are the interesting, complex curricular stuff, the teaching strategies and how can I reach, how can I create a differentiated lesson so that I can reach all kinds of kids in this particular content area. Um, if I'm going to be teaching ancient civilizations, you know, what teaching strategies and what new tools can I use to to teach this job very or teach this stuff very very well yeah I always feel like the answer to that question should be I love making kids love reading and I just like it's all right yeah. <laughs> I think there's another point of intersection of you and many librarians where it's like no we don't just sit around reading books yeah. all day and telling people how great they are <laughs> Yeah. And like, like it's, I, of course, it's nice when you get yeah, someone who yes. comes in and wants to talk about this book they love. Sure. It's a great thing to connect with somebody about, but it's like not really the point. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I often feel like I, it gives me actually a lot of anxiety because I don't think I'm very good at that part of the job. I find that really hard. I think it's actually a 
kind of a tall ask when um, like there's always these like there's these memes or these things or I think I can't remember who said it was Neil Gaiman or somebody who said like librarians put the right book into the right hands at the right time and in doing so save a life like that shit's scary I can't do that it's a pretty tall like, order that's, that's a lot of pressure and like I don't think that every librarian is good or should be good at like when kids come to you and say I want a book about this that shit's hard I I can't always pull that out of my head and I feel a lot of anxiety around that as a failure. Whereas I think it you're right, it is similar. Like that is not my job. Mm-hmm. I'm not a database. Yeah. <laughs> and in no, fact, like I have I have to do it. I have a I database that I've yeah. started assembling because of the number of times I got asked things and I have terrible recall. Yeah. So <laughs> like I just can't I can't pull things out. But yeah. Is that the most challenging part of your job? Is there something else that's like... I would have to say the most challenging part is balance. Okay. There's just so many different, and I'm sure this is the same for all librarians, but there's just so many different parts of the job. There's like, there's just, there's like piles and piles of like covers that got laminated, but haven't yet gotten taped to the book. And then books that have been added to my collection, but haven't yet been stamped. And then books that have been stamped, but they don't have the color code label on them yet. And they don't have the spine label or they have the spine label, but they don't have the protective label. And like, there's just like so many steps of just like the practical logistical stuff of managing and curating that collection. Mm -hmm. And let alone like inventory and weeding. Like, when do I, and how do I do that? Like, that is such a mystery to me. So the balance, and because the stuff that excites me is teaching fun and awesome lessons, it's very hard to be like, actually, I'm not going to do that because today I'm weeding. <laughs> <laughs> and that those are the parts that make me feel like a bad librarian because, like, I feel like I should give a shit about that kind of stuff, and I don't. Though I do because I want to have a, a, a good curated collection. I just wish somebody else would do it for me. Well, I think, like, it sounds like, like, the job of a teacher librarian is just, it's, it's impossible because you have so many things to do, and it sounds like you've, you are really drawn to teaching and instruction, which is part of, I think, librarianship. Mm -hmm. So, I don't think you're a bad librarian. Thank you. this news report from the BC government on education and funding and it was talking about funding review talking about how money was going to be provided to deliver services based on local needs I think that came out recently but I was wondering if you could talk about your work in BC's education system in particular and like how like recent changes um, have been affecting you yes there's a lot of nuance in a lot of the policy that we receive from from the ministry level. So I, a big difference between districts, for example, is in a lot of districts, teacher librarians are expected to provide PrEP or NIST coverage. So what that means is when, because all teachers receive PrEP time. So um, when the teacher is receiving PrEP time, they give the class to you and then you are in charge of the class. So that is not collaboration that is just, you are in charge of the class. So historically, 
um, that often would mean like that often, I think that that started happening because teachers were coming to the library for 30 minute, you know, read aloud book exchange sessions anyway. And that was an easy thing to transition into NIST coverage. Um, my district teacher librarians are, do not cover NIST. That's part of our local agreement. But before the changes, the recent changes, before the Supreme Court ruling, we were providing this. So I actually got to experience both. And, and it's very different. Having to provide NIST coverage is, is very different than working collaboratively with another teacher to provide program deliveries. So it would be like groups coming to the library and then just like ditching all the kids. Which would be terrible. Like may or may not happen sometimes. Yeah, right? <laughs> and it still yeah. continues, I would say, all the time. So that's one thing that's different from district to district, and that is a ministry or a, a, a ministry and local bargaining kind of thing. Funding is also there is a provincial minimum ratio, but the ratio I think is like if I if I'm not incorrect, which I might be, I think it's seven hundred and two students to one librarian. Wow. wow. I believe that is the, the ratio. So that is the minimum ratio. And I think, if I'm, if I'm not incorrect, I think most districts meet that very minimum ratio. Like, I don't think there's a lot of districts that go above and beyond. Don't quote me on that. I mean, obviously you can quote me on that, but... <laughs> um, we'll look for a link or something. Yeah, I, I, I do believe that there, the, the ratio is, is quite ridiculous. And so... A lot of the times what teacher librarians do is in order to piece together full-time employment, they're either at two different schools or in my case, when I was full-time, I would do like the 0.6 or 0.7 teacher librarianship. And then the 0.4 was made up of other like random scraps that they pulled together for me. So I can be at the school full-time doing more than the amount of teacher librarianship I am paid to do, but also other things on top of that. And so I was also curious, like, how do you really assess, like, local needs? Oh, yeah, they use, like, quantifiable data, <laughs> which is part of the problem because local needs are not quantifiable, mm-hmm. um, I would say. Um, so librarianship is purely numbers based on just enrollment all across the province. In terms of other fun, uh, other resources, there are a lot of resources that are learning support and in our, in our district, for example, they're called like learning LSS, so learning support services, I think, maybe. There's a lot of acronyms in teaching. So like resource teachers, they are also funded based on purely ratios of numbers of kids. And then we have like ELL funding that are based on the numbers of students who qualify for ELL funding. And then we also, you get like resource time and extra resources based on kids who have designated resource allocations. So it's all very clinical. (laughs) Alice and I, we were talking a little bit about like academic freedom um, and intellectual freedom. We were a bit confused on like academic librarians have academic freedom, do public librarians. I was also curious, I noticed on your library school website, I think this might've been um, a few weeks ago, you had like resource links to Hong Kong protests. And I thought that was really 
interesting. Um, and then I checked my elementary school in Burnaby, they didn't have it. So I thought at first like, oh, maybe it's like a, like a Burnaby wide or like, um, all library schools have it. So I was like, wow, it's because on this podcast, we talk about how libraries aren't neutral. And I, I didn't realize there were so many like news sources that are, you know, for children. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I take that part of the job very seriously. And it's actually, um, it's, it's like a very exciting and interesting part of my job. I agree. I don't think that libraries are neutral at all, or they shouldn't be. That page that you're referring to is the homepage of our library catalog, I guess you would call it. And so, yeah, that's just me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, in, that, those links in particular were links that I put up there too. So I often use that page if I'm doing like a collaborative unit with teachers and like there's probably at some point there was stuff like I was doing a portraits unit with another teacher. So I had like a whole bunch of links about like portraits throughout history to kind of explore. And and that was part of an inquiry um, project, right? About portraits and visual representation of faces. So it's kind of like it's a holding place for links. And it's also a place where I share resources and things with staff. So in that particular case, do use <laughs> I use that page a lot for like, oh, FYI, you might be curious to know that this is happening and that we should maybe be talking about this. And so I have designated time in every staff meeting and I usually use that time to share to share resources. But I also it's impossible for me to extricate my identity as a racialized woman from my profession whether it's because I happen to be a racialized woman or because it is part of my identity as a professional teacher librarian, I'm always taking time in staff meetings and in in collaboration with other teachers to touch on topics of social justice because so much of it is so entwined with information. So that's the reason why something like that would be there. Like earlier this year, we did a whole unit on the federal election And during that unit, I did a lot of like media literacy and information literacy with the kids. And a big part of that was about media bias and also about like advertising and propaganda and identifying how, how and where that happens around us and questioning political propaganda and what kind of messaging we receive from political parties and from politicians. And we had our local representatives come into our school for an all candidates debate with kids, which was really awesome. But I I would say none of those things are neutral. Like when the kids and I were learning about those topics, and this is something that I think about a lot as a professional, to have an anti-oppression framework inherently means you have to have a bias because I'm not teaching kids that there are two sides to the story. There's the side that honors everybody's dignity as humans and there's the side that doesn't. And those are not equal sides. And to work with an anti-oppression lens, we have to have that bias because kids need to hear that. I was also curious then, like, what's, how is the relationship, like, with teachers, like, in the school as well? Because you talked a lot about your students, but also, yeah, I can see how, like, these resources, like, a lot of your work, like, really depends on teachers as well. Like, do you receive a lot of support? I'm pretty lucky. I have a staff that is, we also have a school that is go, 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 (laughs) and we have very high needs, so it's, like, all hands on deck all the time. So, um, I have teachers who are very excited, for the most part, about, like, an extra set of hands and an extra brain and an extra heart to like help carry and shoulder the load. So I work with really awesome teachers and we do a lot of really neat collaboration. 
again, whether it's because I am a racialized woman and this stuff is always pertinent to my life and my work, or because that is inherently in the role of a teacher librarian, but it's become kind of like my, my shtick. <laughs> like I, I made a big deal about when I first moved to this library about how we need to do some real hard work on updating and weeding the, the collection because we do not have acceptable representation of diverse lived experience in our catalog. So I spent a lot of time and a lot of money and a lot of energy culling a lot of books and also buying a, a lot of new books. And these are always the kinds of books I am, you know, I'm shoving at teachers and, and showing them new resources. And so I think that once you start doing more of that and once you become known for being an advocate and activist in that regard, um, that kind of becomes your role, which is often what happens to racialized people, whether we like it or not. It's it's both difficult and easy, but that that would be a challenging. That is a challenge, because there are always people who just want you to read nice stories, mm. and that's enough. Thank you. <laughs> So maybe moving towards closing, what's something that you wish more people, whoever they are, whatever they do, knew about community-based learning, you know, inquiry-based learning or teacher librarianship? Um, throw the book out. Like, throw the whole book out. Throw the whole box out. That's a big part of what I've been working hard on. And, like, that's also so entwined with the work at Hua and the work in schools is, like, we take so many systems for granted and we just accept them. In so many ways, we take the job of a librarian and the job of a teacher. We accept so many boxes and there's some really simple things. When I think about schooling, I, I think that we need to throw the whole book out <laughs> and the whole box out. It's difficult to, even in schools to have conversations about like, should we maybe go by first name? Why do we call all teachers, you know, by Mr. or Miss or Ms. or Mrs. or like, why are those so limiting anyway? like. <laughs> Those conversations are extremely difficult and get nowhere. So I just think we can only like tweak and fix so much. I think you should just throw it all out. Throw it all out. Why do you need school? Like, why do we go to school? Why do we need school? Right? Like, we need to ask these questions. When we have Indigenous community members who live with so much trauma around school and say to us, like, listen, I don't really want my kid coming to school because I don't like this place. Why aren't we hearing that? And why aren't we responding to that, right? What are we doing to respond to that? And what can we do to recognize that there is significant reason because the schools that their kids are walking into look very much like the schools that give them trauma, right? So I think, yeah, throw the whole book out. And I would love to see what librarianship and what teaching and education could look like if we just didn't take for granted any of the systems and the rules that we just accept. Awesome. That's a great thought to leave people with. I love yeah. it. <laughs> if folks want to find out more about you or your work, is there somewhere online they can connect with you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm uh, on Twitter at Elaine Soup. That's probably the best way to reach me. I'm also not on Twitter very often, but That's I okay. lurk on Twitter a lot. <laughs> and I'm also trying to quit Twitter, so <laughs> who knows? So now or never. <laughs> yeah, now or never. <laughs> Thank you so much Thank for you joining for us having today. me. Yeah.
We can be found on Twitter at OrganizingPod, that's organizing with a Z and not an S. Our email is OrganizingIdeasPod at gmail.com and our website is OrganizingIdeasPod.wordpress.com where you can find links to things that we've mentioned as well as transcripts to the episodes.